I have a wedding this weekend. How many of you think it's a good idea for me to show up dressed like this? Because isn't, you know, the bride is supposed to be the first thing that you see in those pictures, right? Yeah, I don't think that would be a good idea. What is going on up there, right? But um, I, I would remind you again, as I do now the third year I've worn this, it is a, uh, it's a celebratory day, I guess, or it's a significant day. It's the one day of the year that uh, Ken and I have tighter pants on than Ben. And so... <laughs> Put that in the record, please. I will continue to say that. Um, no, we like to, like to tease him about it. But, um, you know, I was just thinking while we were transitioning, and there was a moment of, there was silence, and there was a pause. There wasn't any music. Doesn't music just make life flow, doesn't it? It just brings about easy transitions, and it, it, it's just a part of our lives. Can you imagine this whole season without any music? Just go, some of you probably can't because you're tired of Christmas music. But for the most part, I can't even imagine this season without music. And guess what? When we look at the, the first Christmas, the Christmas, uh, uh, there was music. Woven through the story are songs that are sung. Because again, as we've been talking about every week, music draws out our hopes and declares what we believe. Look at the cultures of the world, the culture, the generational things, even in America over the last 50 years. So much of what we believed as a culture was echoed through our music. Either we, we made songs out of what we believe, or we made songs and then we started to believe it. It's, it's kind of weird how that works sometimes. But music is this gift from God that draws out our hopes. It's like there's something that's, that's so deep that it's almost unsaid, right? And the emotions that flow out of our heart, the desires of our heart, the hopes of our lives, and the things that we absolutely fundamentally rest our trust and hope on, it, music is just in, entangled in that, interwoven in that. And it's not any different in the Christmas season. And so we've, we've, we've looked at a, a number of, of those songs already uh, you know, Mary's song last week, and then the songs of the Old Testament, the psalmist, as he declares what Christmas is about, what we can know, what we should believe in, what our hope should be placed on, and how we can, we can actually hope again. Music, so many times I've driven down the, the road, and I've turned music on, and I've been in a tough place in my life, or, um, and I realize that my tough places, comparatively to some of you, is, is not very tough. But we all go through those, you know, disappointing times or uh, difficult times. And it's been often that as I have allowed music to fill the car, and the words and the, and the, the notes of a song have lifted me up to who God is and, and who I am in Him and what He has done and what He has promised, all of a sudden my heart hopes again. And heart, hope floods my soul. I've had this happen this week. Just driving down the road, song come on, and I just, it refocused, reoriented my whole perspective. Because that's what music does. And in this Christmas, uh, the first Christmas, we see music doing that as a, as a way to help people understand what is going on. I'm going to date myself here, but um, it was in the mid-90s, um, and I was just born. But um, No, I was a teenager. There was a movie that came out. That some of you recognize. 
Some of you will not. You'll have to look it up later. Um, it's a movie of a small group of kids from Erie, Pennsylvania, who uh, uh, just a small town. Uh, they love music. They, they, they like to do music together. And uh, they, start to, they form a band. They start to sing some songs. They do a little talent show, and they gain some popularity. And um, out of that, they become a, really what ends up being a one-hit wonder, uh, the, movie, the way the movie goes. But there's this moment in that movie, That Thing You Do. Anybody recognize that? Yeah. Okay, Don. Thank you. <laughs> this is going to be difficult video then. <laughs> but this is the video where... Um, th- th- for the first time ever, the song they had kind of recorded, published, lo- you know, rinky-dink stuff, but they had got it. The radio plays it for the first time. And they are listening to the radio, and all of a sudden, their song comes on the radio. And this is, uh, this is a clip from That Thing You Do. You might not have even seen that movie, but you can feel or sense the joy, right? That moment when what they've worked so hard for, they've poured their heart out what their hopes and dreams were about, it's happening, right? And uh, have you ever had moments like that in your life? Have you ever done crazy stuff like that? You need to. <laughs> Go make something up and just dance around and have this, this word of the season that I think encapsulates so much what the season is about, is that three-letter word, joy. Like, you can't watch that and not start smiling. You can't watch that and even feel, like, what they're going through and what's happening with them. There's, there's joy. And I think the song we're going to look at today, that video, kind of encapsulate what's happening 
in this man's life who sings a, a song around Christmas. It's called Zachariah's Song. Now, it's so amazing to me that Luke, writing the gospel, he has these players in the story before Jesus comes along. Honestly, the world doesn't even know these players. They wouldn't know who Zachariah was, uh, Elizabeth. They, they, they really wouldn't know. All they know is whoosh, nativity, right? And, and it, it's, it's just like watching TV in black and white. You're not getting the full picture. Because Luke, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to see something that leads up and culminates into that. And one of the players in this story of Christmas is Zachariah. To know who this is, you can read through Luke chapter 1. We're introduced to this man who is a priest. He comes from the line of Aaron, the priestly line. In, in Zechariah's day, there was about 18,000 priests or pastors, if you need a, a contemporary idea. And they would serve at the temple in Jerusalem. Now, not all of them lived in Jerusalem. They lived throughout the country. 18,000 is a lot, right? And so they were all uh, given a two-week um, uh, duty at the temple. Two weeks of the year, they would come and serve and offer the sacrifices and, and, and perform the priestly duties. And they would rotate that around. And, and they obviously had other jobs, right? You can't live on two weeks a year. Um, but they were part of the line of Aaron, the priestly line. And that's who Zechariah is. We're introduced to this priest who actually, uh, his wife's name's Elizabeth, and we find out that Elizabeth is the daughter of a priest. She's from the line of Aaron. So you got a, a pastor and a pastor's daughter who are, who are married. Uh, they live in a, in a, in a village, and, and we realize quickly that Zacharias, Zachariah and Elizabeth's life has some, had some difficulties, has had some challenges. Uh, we read that... Um, that they were without child all their life. And you have to understand, in that culture, this was a, uh, this was a, a tough thing. It, it's always been a tough thing, right? Every culture, maybe some of you have had to deal with that even in your lives. It's, it's, it's a very tough thing. Yet in the Jewish culture, it was beyond tough. It was a sign that, that God's blessing didn't rest on you. Um, uh, in fact, often it was, it was grounds for divorce in that culture. Zachariah could have very easily said, you know what, Elizabeth? I can't have children. Um, I'm going to move on. And yet we read about Zachariah and Elizabeth who have, the scriptures say, lived blamelessly before God. They have been model followers of God. It's remarkable they're, they're probably about 80 years old at this time, 75, 80 years old. And, and in the midst of a life that's had hurt, disappointment, and even maybe questioned, does God really love me or as much as, and where's the blessing of the favor of God, they continued through the midst of all of that to just trust God's goodness, follow his ways, to live lamelessly, right? Uh, it's an amazing testimony again. The players in this story, Joseph, Mary, Zechariah, Elizabeth, God uses people who implicitly, unreservedly trust him. Uh, there's, there's a correlation to all of these players in the story. Uh, regardless of sometimes life circumstances, right? 
Uh, God has great blessing in store for those who just trust him completely. And that's Zachariah and Elizabeth. And, and we read in the story in Luke chapter 1 that Zechariah, uh, uh, it's time to serve, to go up to the temple, comes. And then also, they had this system where they would cast lots. I don't know if it was gambling or not. No. A little Las Vegas spin here. But no, um, where they would choose, and it was this, this, this system, who was that one priest that week who got to go into the temple and actually uh, offer prayers and, and burn incense. It was a part of the worship in the temple. It was a highly f- uh, sought-after, favored position. It was a once-in-a-lifetime. Once you did it, you, you were out of the lottery. And Zachariah probably lived most of his life thinking, there's 18,000 of us. There's a lot of, a lot of them that don't even get to do this. So when his name was called, I'm sure he was beyond thrilled to be able to do this once-in-a-lifetime thing of offering the prayers and the the incense in in the temple. And what would happen is on that particular Saturday, the people would come for prayer. uh, And then as they prayed, that one priest would then move into an inner place in the temple, not the Holy of Holies, but an inner place where they would offer up prayers for the people and burn the incense to the Lord and then he would come out and, and have a word of, of benediction. And, and uh, it was just a, it was a highlight event, right? A chosen event. And Zechariah gets chosen for this. Obviously, you and I, hindsight, know it wasn't random, right? Um, but uh, no doubt he had probably talked to the other priest who had got to experience this. To go into this special place, to do this special thing. He, he knew what was coming. If there was a manual on this, he had already, written, or he had already, um, he had already read it, right? Um, and so he, he knows what he's supposed to do, and he knows what's supposed to happen. And yet when he goes in on that day <laughs> to offer the incense, an angel, Gabriel, appears to him. Just like it always happens with an angel. The, the presence of an angel immediately does what to us as humans? It, it causes fear. He is, he is frightened. This isn't what's supposed to happen. I've talked to everybody. What is going on? What, this doesn't happen. I'm in the presence of an angel, Gabriel, no less. And so there's just this moment of fear, and then Gabriel begins to, begins to offer words of comfort and to share uh, some some. A starting, startling revelation to Zechariah. And he says, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of parents to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make a people ready, prepared for the Lord. Wow. So Zechariah has had this whole, this, this unbelievable event where not only is he seeing an angel, that's enough, the angel begins to share things like, listen, 
that thing that you've probably thought was beyond the timetable and you've mailed it in on God doing that, you're actually going to have a baby. 80 years old, you guys are going to have a baby. That's another, wow. Like, you know, angel, pregnancy, and then special person that you need to raise as a Nazarite performing those vows. He's got a special designation. In fact, the words that he quotes there are the last words of the Old Testament in Malachi. When God kind of, honestly, it's a little confusing. It's a little like, what? God God just says these words about uh, Elijah coming back, and and, and, and it's these weird words, and, and, and it caused people to just wonder. That's why often when Jesus walked the earth, many of the Jews said, are you Elijah? And all of a sudden, this boy that he is going to have as an 80-year-old man told to him by an angel, Gabriel himself, is going to play a key role in what God's grand plan and design is. And he responds this way. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. How can I be sure and what's interesting about this story is, uh, you know, I, I see Mary doing the same thing when the angel appears to her. And, and yet, there's something different about Zechariah. Uh, he's a priest. He's lived. He's walked with the Lord. And so his moment of question and doubt um, actually kind of causes some turmoil in his life. But actually it ends up producing a greater thing. You see, Gabriel responds in this way. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And yet you respond this way as if an angel's not enough. It's like, uh, you're saying I need a sign. And Gabriel's like, dude, I am the sign. I am an angel. Is that not enough for you? And Gabriel says, listen, because you doubted in this moment, you're not going to be able to speak all through your wife's pregnancy. Zechariah comes out of the temple. In fact, it says the people were wondering what's going on in there. This is taking a lot longer than it normally does. He comes out, he's not able to speak. And then he goes back to his home and for nine months, As Elizabeth is carrying John, John the Baptist, he remains silent, his mouth closed by the Lord. You know, there's a story behind every song, and that's the story behind this song we're going to look at. The silence, it brings about a fresh state of spiritual health in the life of Zechariah. Because, as you'll see in this story, the immediate thing that he does as soon as John is born and named John is he bursts forth in praise. So often, probably, most of us would complain or grumble, right? I haven't been able to talk for nine months. Like, I've had to listen to you talk for nine months, right? You probably, most of our reactions, sometimes I remember when I've come out of surgery, the one thing I'm not doing is singing, right? 
You feel it, right? You feel uh, normally, and yet these nine months of silence have done something in Zachariah's heart as he has been able to ponder, comprehend, and understand what that angel said, what this means, and as the Holy Spirit is beginning to, to reveal to him just what is going on. This is a sideline. This is kind of like just a little pastoral note. I believe it is often in our own lives that the key ingredient for us having the right perspective and living with hope and finding a place of rest and peace is learning how to get silent before God, to stop talking, to not hear the noise, and to just get silent before God and to listen to Him and to ponder His Word and allow His Spirit to sink deep within us, speaking to us, revealing. I think so often that is a key ingredient for us, understanding the ways of God. And so he, he, he has this moment where after John is born, he is able to speak, and this is what he begins to say. You know, I remember uh, last spring, uh, I, I took N Nicole to the, uh, the, uh, the theatrical play Hamilton, right? Um, and I, I got to be honest, both of us didn't really understand the story too much. I, I knew Alexander Hamilton was. I kind of, and, and so I, I surprised her. And so we're driving in the car, and I just turn on the soundtrack as a way of saying, hey, guess where we're going? And we begin to listen to it. And the music's phenomenal. Um, it's well done. And yet, we went, and it was after we saw the play, watched the actors, understood the story, that as I drove home, and as I had it in my car, you know how you do that for like three, four, five weeks? That's the only thing you listen to? It just made so much more sense. And Zacharias had that time to understand what it is exactly Christmas is about, what's happening. And that's why he burst forth in a song like this. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hills country of Judea, people were talking about these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, saying, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him, right? 80-year-old people having babies, somebody not being able to speak, something's going on here. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And this is what he began to proclaim. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as, the, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham. Doesn't some of this sound familiar to last week? Right? That's why you can't understand Christmas just by dropping Christmas in the middle of your thinking. You have to understand the context of Christmas. What is going on before 
That's why the world looks on and it's just a cute little nativity scene. And it's kind of just random and, oh, that, that is a beautiful picture. That is a cool story. And yet, the, the, the Bible says, listen, you've got to understand this in a much greater way. And the songs that are sung about Christmas are always from the beginning of the story, from the pre-story of Christmas, to understand truly what its meaning is about. And he's, he's singing about David. He's singing about Abraham to rescue us from the hands of our enemies and to er, enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. You see, that the words that come out of Zechariah are, are the realization that God is doing what he had promised. We talked about that in week one. He begins to refer once again to the promises that God has made uh, before this event. And he begins to reference people from the, from the story of Jesus that are key players, David and Abraham. He begins to bring out in his, in his song this idea once again of God who makes promises to people, who makes covenants with people. If you look at the Old Testament story, you, you see God making promises, making covenants with people. He did it with Noah, right? He made a covenant with Noah. He said, Noah, I will never flood the earth again. It's a promise he made. He made, it, he made a covenant with uh, Moses, the Mosaic covenant, the law given by God. These words are promises from God. These words are, if you will live this way, I will do this. This is right. This is wrong. This is how you're supposed to live. This is how you're supposed to understand God's character and nature, right? Mosaic covenant. Uh, he, he made a priestly covenant uh, that he would always provide a mediator between God and his people, right? He's, he's making promises through the Old Testament. But he specifically makes these three really important promises. It's a promise he made to David about an everlasting kingdom. We talked about that last week. There's overlap in these songs so much. Uh, he makes, and that's what he's referencing here. Zechariah is singing about a God who promised David that he would establish a kingdom with his people. Then he references Abraham. And any Jew, their father was Abraham. And they remembered what God had promised to Abraham about their own unique, special people. And God is, is, is revealing to Zechariah and to us that God made promises to Abraham. And he's coming through. You see, this is very simple, but I think it's an important statement. Jesus' birth begins the fulfillment of all that Israel had hoped and looked forward to happening. I want you to key in on those words, hoped and looked forward to happening. Jesus' birth begins the fulfillment. And he's just singing about this. You see, this is why he can't, he can't contain joy. He can't, it's every commentary I've read, they, they talk about Zechariah as like, this song is one that he would have been like those teenagers running around the block, running into stores, dancing, grabbing people's radio stereos and cranking his own music. Because he's realizing 
that this means. God is beginning to fulfill all that we have hoped and looked forward to. You see, he begins, he, but then he doesn't stop with Abraham and David because if, if it's you and me, we're like, ah, oh, okay, good deal. But he continues to sing, and you, my child, about John, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. You see, Zechariah, as he's had time, as he has been silent. See, God has been silent for 400 years. God begins to act, and now Zechariah goes silent for nine months. And yet both events, both things are leading toward this ultimate promise that the prophets later on, the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel, begin to expand what God's plan for his people were. It's not just in the the, the covenant to David. It's not just in the covenant to Abraham. But he begins to talk about a new covenant. And Zechariah just begins to proclaim, you know what? This is exactly what the birth of John leading to the birth of Jesus means. That God is establishing his new covenant. This new covenant that gives people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. It's the personal work of God in the forgiveness of sins of the individual. We're moving from universal kind of concepts, covenants, and national kind of covenants to the reality that what God is ultimately doing is bringing individual covenant into the lives of people. And it's this knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. And I would simply say that Zechariah is singing about a truth that's, that says this. That forgiveness is more than a penalty removed. It is a relationship restored. Forgiveness is more than a penalty removed. It is a relationship restored. That's the new covenant. He's using covenant language, relationship language, God and people and how he's going to live with them, how they're going to understand him. And this goes way beyond just, hey, okay, you messed up. I'll forgive you. Uh, I'll talk to you sometime down the road. You ever done that with somebody? They asked for your forgiveness and, and you gave them forgiveness, but that's all it was. It was kind of a transactional thing. Like, I don't really want to have a relationship with you. I get you feel bad. I forgive you or vice versa. And we'll just go on our own merry ways. And, and we feel better about it. I was sorry. I asked forgiveness. You gave forgiveness. We both feel, and it's kind of just a transactional thing. Come on, you've, you've had that before, right? Hopefully not in your closest relationships. Right? Because forgiveness really carries with it far more than just a penalty removed. It is a relationship restored. That's the language here. Covenant, promise, people, language. It's forgiveness means that now God dwells with us, in us, and we have now have a new relationship through this new covenant. Can you grab a hold of that today? Forgiveness is more than a penalty removed. So often we feel the guilt and condemnation of our actions 
And we cry out to God, right? God, forgive me. I realize I'm a sinner. And often, it can be simply for us to sense or know the penalty removed. Have you ever been there? I have. I've done that before. God, I just feel really bad about my sin. Will you forgive me? Oh, great, thank you. I know you forgave me. And he does. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Right? And I feel better. And yet then I go two weeks without ever praying again to God. That's not the purpose of his forgiveness, his love, his grace and mercy. It's to restore a relationship. That's what this is all about. And that's what Zachariah cannot contain himself with. The fact that it's not just transactional. Oh, I went and took communion and I feel better about, you know, that's how some places position it. Sin all week to take communion on Sunday and feel better. Sin all week, right? You know what I'm talking about. Or, or even us. God, forgive me. I don't plan on changing. <laughs> I just need to feel better. I just need to feel like I'm forgiven. That's not what God's doing with forgiveness. Yes, he's removing the penalty, but he's removing the penalty so you and him can begin to have a relationship restored. And that causes Zachariah to just lose his mind in this song. And he begins to sing and he says, the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the story goes that the child grew and became strong in the spirit. And you know what? I, I think about this song. I think about Zechariah. And I think what stands out to me most, what is God trying to communicate to us? What do I need to see? What do I need to know? How do I understand Christmas even more? And why does God talk about these people before he says, you know, and Joseph took Mary down to, to Bethlehem and he was born and all that? Why this stuff? Well, I think it's in this song, it's a way for us that Christmas means to stir within us an unrestrained joy. Zachariah is unrestrained. He can't contain himself and he begins to burst, burst forth joyfully about what all this means. God's fulfilling. God's coming through. God's doing what he promised. God, and he's unrestrained. I've been thinking about that this week. Mary has some of this, right? Like, my soul magnifies the Lord. This, this overwhelming joy that comes out of these characters. Why? Because God is fulfilling all that we need, all that we hope for, and all that we could desperately want. It's in what happened in this season. And because he's doing that, the response of my life is joy. 
That's why the New Testament is always calling us, rejoice evermore. Rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Why? Everything we need, hope for, and really desperately want is found in Jesus Christ. See, Zachariah is getting it all. Oh yeah, this fulfills David. This fulfills Abraham. This fulfills what he's, the new covenant. Wow, I can't help it. I'm just unrestrained in my joy. I think for you and me today, we need to live with unrestrained joy. I know there's so many reasons why we don't end up being joyful, right? Past disappointment, uncomfortable doubt, temporal security, all those things, they're joy robbers, they're joy stealers. And yet when we sink in and realize what Jesus is, as Zechariah did, we realize he's the fulfillment of everything that I need, hope for, and desperately want. And this causes in my heart unrestrained joy. You know, Zacharias didn't even get to see all this. <laughs> yet he believed. John, it doesn't seem like, I mean, you're 80 and you have a child in that culture. John, I mean, that he lived in the wilderness, probably because mom and dad died when he was about 15 or 20. I don't know, right? Zechariah didn't get to see all this fulfilled out in so many ways. Yet he believed and knew what the angel had told him. Yet we get to see Jesus and what he has done and accomplished and how he's moved Surely our lives can be lived with unrestrained joy. The thing you need to do is rejoice. It needs to be, become something you cannot live without. Your days need to be filled with rejoicing. You need to look at that problem, those circumstances, and rejoice in the middle of it. My own life, this, this season of my life, I have been feeling so often the prompting of the Holy Spirit in the middle of my own doubt, my own hurt. I continually sense the Holy Spirit saying, rejoice. Why? Because God has already done what I need and hope for and desperately want in who he is. Unrestrained joy. That's what this song calls us to. Nothing more beautiful than to see God's people live with joy. Zechariah reminds us of that. Would you stand this morning? Let's just sing this little chorus before we go. Sarah's going to lead us. And it, it may, I hope your prayer is like mine. God, give me a lifestyle of unrestrained joy. It's based on God's fulfillment of the things I need most. <laughs> That's what it's based on. The promises that he's made, that he's going to keep, the hope that I have in him causes me to live with unrestrained joy. Sing together, would you? Joy.
Give me one more chance. Give it one more shot. Think about those teenagers running around. All their hopes and dreams have come true. Guess what? What Jesus has done is all your hopes and dreams are coming true. What you need most is in him. How about a little joy this morning? Convince me. Convince the Lord Almighty, who is our audience, that there is an unrestrained joy deep within you about what he has done for you. Let's sing. with joy through this season through our lives because you are the fulfillment of everything that we've needed help us to live lives of unrestrained joy the deep realization God is in control I am in his hands he is saving me we praise you today as we go in Jesus name amen have a great week